Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. The past year and in recent months, international affairs have been front and center in the news, from the ongoing war in Ukraine to last year's pullout in Afghanistan. Across the world and amid these international challenges, the Department of State works to bring diplomacy and support to our international allies. Behind the scenes of the State Department's front-facing work is a team of IT leaders who are providing foundational infrastructure and cybersecurity capabilities. That team, led by State CIO Keith Jones, is making some important modernization and forward-thinking changes to improve the state's IT capabilities, security posture, and governance. With state's fiscal year 2019 to 2022 IT strategic plan coming to an end soon, we'll talk with Keith Jones about where state's IT is at now, how his leadership at state has evolved since he entered his position just a little over a year ago, and how big contract vehicles like state's Evolve IDIQ will help the agency move forward with new IT goals. Okay, Keith, thank you so much for joining us on GovCast today. Thank you, thanks for having me, really appreciate it. Of course. So, you know, before we jump into how you have been leading the State Department as CIO, I want to talk a little bit about your experience in government. You've had over 35 years working across the federal space. So can you explain how your journey to government service began and played out? Yeah, um, that's really a a good question here. Uh, Actually, it's now more than 38 years working across government. And if- wow. uh, Without without the two years in retirement, it would be going on 40 this year. So it's it's been a while. And actually, my journey started out west, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, California, uh, right out of central Los, uh, Los Angeles. I started at the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, and I worked there uh, from 82 all the way through... Uh, through uh, DHS being formed. And, you know, from that time, I I served in various capacities, not always the IT guy uh, or the IT person or the IT point of contact, but in lots of different roles. And over my career, just really uh, taking on natural next steps for me. I think I had very good mentorship along the way that really helped my career progress. You know, when I first started the career, certainly I had no aspirations of being the head of a department or being a CIO or even even being kind of like this uh, senior IT lead on site. But it's, it's funny how, you know, life and your career just naturally takes, takes itself to the next stage. Uh, So, you know, especially growing up in LA and the area that I grew up in, one would never think that I'd be sitting here today, but I am uh, really, I think when I reflect on my accomplishments, being the uh, deputy CIO at ICE, uh, moving into uh, that same role, 
more or less at USCIS, executive, deputy executive director at DHS headquarters uh, for the IT services office. And then, you know, through retirement, starting my own company and everything, and then uh, being uh, appointed in this position really brings everything full circle uh, for me. So it, it's just it's just funny. Just a lot of a lot of good experience along the way. Things that I've seen from various vantage points that really have helped me in this position. So you know, overall, just somewhat of a rewarding uh, opportunity and, and uh, career that I can even reflect on when all is said and done. Certainly, and um, I want to touch upon how you left federal service after a really long career there and went to industry and started your own company, like you said. So, um, what was you know, that experience of switching after such a long career in government like, and how did you come to the decision to re-enter the federal position, especially at the State Department? So really it was, you know, operating from a different lens uh, when I was out there in the private sector for those two years. I, it gave me a good opportunity to see, you know, what it's like from the outside in. So totally different perspective, uh, but, you know, it's not something, this position is not something that one volunteers for, or one says, I'm applying for this position. Uh, I, I did receive a call from the administration and I went through, like I would say five interviews uh, uh, before I was appointed to this position. So it, it wasn't like something that was planned or, or something that I knew about. You know, I, I recall uh, sitting there and, and getting that phone call uh, saying that I was selected to be appointed uh, on, it was kind of like a couple of days before Christmas, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it was certainly something different for me. And, it, you know, it was kind of like, was I excited? Uh, it was like a humbling effect. It wasn't one of those things where you jump up and you're like, yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't that at all. It was more of a, a point of, okay, I'm stepping back in and, and what is this what, what does this mean? And what are the things that I would do different uh, as a CIO for the Department of State? And CIO Department of State, you know, just a very, an agency, one of the largest government institutions uh, that, that we have. And, you know, just walking through the doors here and everything uh, and dealing with foreign policy and, and U.S. interests really, you know, positions, uh, position me in a totally different light. And I'm happy about that. Um, and, and knowing that the workforce you know, that we have here, are they're very committed in the work that they do. Definitely. And now that you've been in your position at the State Department for just over a year, can you give us an idea of what challenges and priorities you're handed upon entering and the leadership approach you've been taking to set your agency up for success? Oh, sure. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned, you know, Department of State promotes U.S. foreign policy and U.S. interests, you know, with, you know, the great support of Americans from all walks of life, right? And really the great support of foreign nationals who believe in our mission. We're almost in every country in the world, just a global department, you know, and our mission is to support foreign policy. Diplomacy doesn't, doesn't stop during the pandemic. Our workforce, you know, I mean, they've been working day in and day out and, and things just 
continue to uh, naturally take its course. Uh, I mean, and especially after my arrival here, you know, I mean, we were in the middle or, or the beginning of solar winds, right? And, and you know, then after solar winds, we got the, we received the executive order on uh, cybersecurity uh, and improving the nation's cybersecurity. So taking all that into account, I think the one thing that I saw immediately was ensuring that we truly enhanced our cybersecurity uh, posture across the department. And, you know, just making sure that everyone across the department, you know, uh, from top to bottom really understood uh, the impact of cybersecurity. Uh, I was just talking to our team the other day and we were saying that, you know, sometimes we get lulled to sleep um, where individuals think that certain things aren't important, but cybersecurity will always be important for us. I think one of the first steps that I took really was I had, you know, a number of vacancies that uh, came about uh, across the most senior levels of the bureau here. And I made, you know, key appointments. Uh, and I, what I wanted to do was really create a, a great team synergy across the across the bureau and have a very uh, engaging uh, commitment with the workforce. And and I think I've uh, stood true to that to this day, where, you know, I reach out and I go and have interactions with our workforce and make sure that they understand they're not in this alone. That I'm there next to them, and you know, I it's easy for me to roll up my sleeves as hard as hard as uh, they they couldn't imagine that when I first came in, but but then when they see it, they get it and they understand. And and I think around going back to the cyber front, we we onboarded our enterprise chief information security officer, you know, and bringing that into the fold within the organization. So with, with that role, not only being part of the IRM Bureau, but also having that uh, span of control across the, the entire department where we're really looking at cybersecurity from a totally different lens. We, you know, taking a look at our existing directorates and knowing that we could realign our resources moving forward on uh, looking at uh, a plan reorganization that had been underway for uh, more than a number of years and now seeing that almost coming to fruition where we've just stayed on it and stayed committed to it where I continue to engage uh, with our team to make sure that we really get this done. Uh, I think another area that I wanted us to succeed in really was around how we deliver customer solutions. Many times we have other bureaus, they, they need the support of the IRM Bureau. So we're standing up uh, a directorate uh, called Business Solutions Delivery. And that's gonna really focus on rapid development of custom solutions for our customer. Uh, that's, that, and that's a, a huge success, something that we did in support of uh, Afghanistan efforts and, and in support of uh, our counselor affairs organization uh, across the department, uh, where we were able to do rapid application development uh, to support those efforts around that. I, I think, you know, what's even more important is us modernizing how we do business across the, the IRM Bureau, how we engage our customers, you know, bringing discipline as an organization 
driving customer centricity across our organization, making sure that, you know, our folks meet the customers, you know, and our customers meet us at the halfway point. We are, we shouldn't really look at each other as, uh, as, as customers of each other, but look at, look at them as stakeholders where we're in partnership together uh, in order to create uh, successful outcomes. Another focus is uh, areas of human-centered design and UX design practices, making sure, you know, we, we take these, you know, modern approaches in what we do and we bring them to the forefront versus uh, being an organization where you give us the requirements and they get thrown, we throw it back over the fence and, and it's not what's requested or required. So it's, it's things like that, that, you know, I've been focused on. And of course, you know, as we move uh, to get to uh, a zero trust uh, state uh, presence across the department, that is something that, you know, we're working very hard on and, and will, you know, that's, that's also something that doesn't happen overnight. So it'll be something that we'll be working on for a while here at the department. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've heard is uh, a big priority for many agencies. So it's great to hear it um, from the state perspective. You touched on a lot of different areas there. And, you know, the State Department had a FY29 to 2022 IT strategic plan. And, you know, this involved a lot of things that you mentioned, like modernizing business processes, but there's also, you know, modernizing moving to the cloud. Again, strengthening the security you mentioned and a bunch more. So now that you're reaching the end of this plan that was sort of there before you came into the office, how are you meeting the goals that were set before with the plan and how would you like to move forward? So I think we've been uh, largely successful in meeting those goals and objectives. Uh, and now we're at the point where we really need to expand on our accomplishments. So we're really extending the strategic plan. We are, you know, we've moved more to, you know, it's not so much a buzzword than a reality of uh, to more of an agile strategic plan where we continue to update our strategic plan every every year where, where you know, there's, because technology changes so rapidly. And sometimes we do have to pivot on uh, the opportunities that may have been depended, uh, th that may have been identified in a longer term view. So, so we're doing that. So uh, I, I think, you know, the success of reducing legacy systems uh, through working through our uh, cloud uh, program management office, majority of our infrastructure is now operating, you know, on FedRAMP approved, uh, approved platforms which is really, really uh, great to see and, and know that we're continuing to do that. Our, our customers also benefit from that. So we have, I think, as we look at end of life, hardware and software, done an excellent job uh, of really removing that from the environment. And, and this is globally, right? Not just, where, not, not just domestically, where most agencies, departments and agencies can say, yeah, you know, we've done it domestically, but we have a global presence. So uh, just having that, having that number out there and knowing that we continuously and we monitor uh, obsolete uh, end of life uh, software and getting that out of there. So I, one of the things that we have when I first got here was we had a huge backlog on uh, 
what, what we call ATLs, Authority to Operate Requests, uh, which was really slowing down our modernization efforts. We've pretty much automated that process now. Uh, I directed the stand-up of a team uh, to really support, you know, support the process there. One of the questions that I asked our DCIO for cyber ops at the time was, show me, you know, where the where our customers are having the biggest issues. Where where is the clog in in the pipeline? And it was, you know, when you look at the risk management framework, he would say it's steps two, three, and four. This is where they have to answer certain questions. They really aren't familiar with it, so they get stuck. Well, what are we doing about it as a bureau in order to support them? So what we did was stand up a, a team of individuals that were dis disbanded. Well, I shouldn't say disbanded. Were, that was dispersed, and they worked uh, directly with, with these system owners in order to get their ATLs moved through the process. This is not the team doing the ATL for them, but really helping them interpret the questions such that things could be uh, answered in the uh, correct way. With that said, you know, we went from having a backlog of 350 uh, ATLs to now just uh, under uh, 60 uh, ATLs that are requiring review and approval. So I think we made tremendous progress in that regard. But you know, there's a lot of opportunities. I think things that things that we've done around uh, robotics process automation, predictive analytics, uh, AI. You know, that's really helped. You know, with uh, reducing our employee onboarding time, making invoice processing more efficient, and really helping out with expedited security clearance verifications where. Where, where we can process individuals in a more timely fashion. And a lot of this is working with various bureaus. Uh, in this case, it's working with diplomatic security and uh, global talent management to help expedite processes such that we're not losing candidates unnecessarily. I mean, so this is just a small sample of some of the things we've been doing, but certainly there are things that I would like to make sure we continue to modernize on, especially as we continue to move things to the cloud, things we do around uh, engineering and telecommunications, uh, how we support our uh, end users. You know, we've driven down our response times at our service desk that, you know, we had one point where individuals were, were you know, waiting for hours just to talk to our service desk. Uh, and this was, during, at some stages during the pandemic, where we've now reduced that to under 36 seconds re response time, which is, and, and this is just uh, a sample of things of some of the successes we've had. So uh, as I wrap this up, I think customer driving customer centricity, improving our governance across the department, focusing on our workforce and organization, being innovative and ensuring that you know we are strengthened on cybersecurity is just critically important for us. Yeah, and I love the examples you brought up about automating the ATO process and also you know that service desk example. These are fantastic ways to see how these greater strategic plans are making a difference for the end user. So I want to talk a little bit now about Collaboration with industry, which of course is a very important part of lots of government IT. You know, state released its Evolve IDIQ draft solicitation last fall, which is really big for lots of folks out there. And it'll be a great opportunity to invest in 
future IT capabilities and services to meet some of these needs that you were just talking about. So how are you hoping to take advantage of, um, you know, evolve to help the state grow more or just generally collaboration with industry? Well, thank you for that question. And I'm saying th genuinely thank you because I'm, I don't have to think about this. I know what this is. So this is, you know, with Evolve, and I sit here smiling about it, knowing that you know, here this is an opportunity uh, for us as a department to, to not only have the largest uh, IDIQ uh, BPA out there for departments in the history of the department, but it's, it's really bringing so many uh, areas of uh, IT under one vehicle, such that you know we can uh, really move forward. We can do things. We get, we have the opportunity to onboard and offboard uh, contractors uh, at you know at the appropriate times. So Evolve focuses on five categories and you know we were using the term pool but now we shifted to the term categories and we actually will have a another draft uh revision coming out and within i would say within days and it's it's it management category for data center and cloud uh combined telecommunications and network engineering a category for service desk and end user support and a category for application development. And with Evolve, you know, it's expected to be now, uh, now we've lengthened the time frame to, to a 10 year IDIQ with probably between a 12 to $14 billion ceiling. And, you know, the goal of this is to really have the best of breed companies in there and, and companies that really want to bring talent to this department. Uh, we used to say, you know, hey, you know, you just want to get on this vehicle. No, you don't want to get on the vehicle. You want to get on this vehicle and you want to prove that you can bring the best of the best because we don't need seat warmers here in the department. What we need are companies that are innovative, that really want to deliver for us and uh, that that, that do things with the interests uh, of the U.S. in mind. So it's opportunity. Um, that that will be released soon. I, I'm hoping that we release it. Uh, I'll just say June, for, or early June, right? Uh, we we had planned on getting it done in the February timeframe. We ran into a, a couple of things that we needed to uh, resolve internally, but I think we've gotten through that. And now we're introducing a new draft RFP to industry, and then we'll come out with the final uh, RFP uh, in short order thereafter. That's fantastic. Thank you for those details. I'm sure that many people will be excited to learn more about that. And I'm sure that you're also looking forward to what's coming underway from the industry side. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, and, and we're going to do kind of like an incremental approach in how we do evolve. We're not going to do, a, you know, we're not going to have this uh, RFP where we're calling in everything at one time. Uh, we're going to release these categories incrementally such that we can make sure we have the right teams focus on it and do the right due diligence uh, to have successful award in each category. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Speaking of agility, you know, you mentioned before that you want to move toward a more agile strategic plan, and it seems like Evolve and your general approach to leading state 
um, center around being agile and meeting different needs. So um, since state is all over the world, as you were talking about before, how do you remain agile as an IT organization amid constantly shifting global relations and needs? And do you know sudden global challenges and tensions like you were mentioning with Afghanistan before, but you know now we're facing Ukraine and all these other problems that can arise very quickly. How do you remain agile and meet IT needs and keep it running in a smooth way? So, you know, it's uh, it, it's really one of those things that it, it's just, it's the it, it's the way business is these days. And we always have to understand what the priorities are and be able to have teams that are able to quickly pivot uh, from one thing to another. Uh, of course, not, you know, no organization is completely, you know, filled with resources that can just do anything, right? So we do a lot of priority and reprioritization where needed, when and where needed. And I think, you know, the, the nature of our work is really unique in that we have diplomatic missions across the world. We're a global organization. We have a great uh, foreign service workforce overseas, and we, they even we even have resources here uh, that are members of the foreign service. And you know, everyone is committed uh, to to making things right, making making things whole, and you know, and really supporting the diplomats that we serve, both domestically and abroad. So you know, th there's various requirements to do various duties. It's a great thing that I do have the right leadership in place, and we have leaders that are really engaged and they are in tune to the needs of our organization. And so I can rely on them to, to really deliver. We get jammed up sometime, like any other organization does, on a key priority that may have uh, just been dropped on us, but you know we're able to uh, really react. I think some of the advantages that we've done in taking some a centralization approach and some of uh, our IT assets and and how we engineer things is especially where we're able to pivot things into the cloud which makes it a lot more easier for us to manage and for also for our uh, customers and whether and and when I say that that's more like we have we have citizen developers out there in particular at overseas missions, overseas posts, and having them do citizen develop, development uh, in a common on a common platform in a common environment really helps uh, reduce a, a lot of risks that we had previously in the uh, in in the department. So continuing to drive and emphasize that, and there, there's been a lot of great successes uh, with with uh, the diplomatic mission and being able to do citizen development by taking uh, taking the uh, direction from our uh, team here in headquarters and saying that these are kind of like the rules of the road. And then we step in and, and we support where needed in order to keep them uh, moving forward. I think uh, with our customers, you know, we want to make sure we provide them the solutions and the service they need in the time frame they need. We want to make sure they're at the table when we're having the right discussions. Uh, you know, it, it's funny that, you know, when you think of customers, you, you only, it's kind of like one of those things where if you, under, if you sat in my seat, you would understand my challenge. 
But sometimes when we don't sit in those seats, we don't understand the challenges. So we have to be really good listeners and we have to really work in tandem with uh, our diplomats uh, uh, across, across the department, as well as external stakeholders to make sure we're delivering what we need to deliver and, and meet the mission objectives. So I just want to look forward with the State Department now. You mentioned a lot of what you're doing currently and what you're looking forward to, but you know, where do you see State going next? How would you get there? And maybe if you had you know, anything on your wish list, what would you like to have done? Oh, okay. So I think as I think about this, uh, certainly I, I would like to see you know, a successful Evolve contract done and completed. Uh, our business solutions directorate, you know, firmly established and really operating on all cylinders. Uh, we, we stood up an IT contract uh, management office here uh, within the IRM Bureau. That in itself, you know, is it, really big for us. Uh, recruiting top tier talent is, is important for us. Uh, where we take the department with uh, robotics process automation and machine learning, I, I think that that would be uh, a really, really good thing. But for, and even from a personal perspective, uh, I would say having the right governance in place. Uh, we stood up, a, I stood up a CIO council and kicking that off has, you know, and looking at the the success of that kickoff and having the engagement uh, at the assistant secretary level across the department is really monumental uh, in order to, uh, to get get this done. Uh, I think efforts uh, around, you know, our cybersecurity sprints that, that we've done and continuing those efforts and really uh, positioning this department to be uh, really successful, especially, you know, with this department being one of the most targeted departments or the most targeted uh, department across the government. I mean, we have to have strong cybersecurity uh, presence here. Uh, and I think the list goes on uh, and on, but uh, certainly uh, making sure that, that we're taking advantage of key things. We use data as an asset and, and, you know, we look at various technology and continue to lean forward. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Keith. It's been great learning about state and, you know, your time in government. So it's been a pleasure chatting with you and I can't wait to keep an eye out for what you do next. Thank you so much and really appreciate the time. Uh, and certainly, uh, I think we have, a long, I, I will say, a long road, but a short road ahead of us uh, and a road of opportunity where, where we really uh, try and get things right and uh, working not, not only from a governance standpoint, but from a, from a customer aspect and, and really delivering on mission here for the department. Uh, you know, I, didn't, I did not talk about uh, one of the key uh, initiatives that we're doing around, around the secretary's uh, priorities. And that's like tech for life and, and making sure we deliver on tech for life uh, on behalf of uh, the secretary's priorities. This is comes under the modernization pillar where we're able to uh, provide uh, devices, whether it be a laptop uh, or a mobile device and uh, a diplomat or uh, a domestic employee 
uh, has that device and they keep it they keep it with them for the life cycle and and we am conquering the the typical issues that you have from a legacy standpoint when it comes to asset management when it comes to uh, re equipment reporting when it comes to uh, refreshing equipment that's you know working all that out is going to be key but I think delivering on tech for life and being able to uh, position individuals to really operate from the time they onboard uh, you know to the time they depart the department and refresh in between and positioning them to really be successful in their work so they're no longer dependent on when and where they have to meet uh, someone from the IT organization that equipment is automatically showing up uh, based on the process that's been established. But thanks again, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you down the line. Of course, I'm gonna remember tech for life. That's a great phrase. There you go. GovCast along with CyberCast and HealthCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 